Welcome to Destiny Revival Ministries Sermon of the Week. Thank you for joining us. You can stay up to date through our social media or give from the link in the details. We hope this message blesses you. You know, so Amy and I were sitting out on the front porch, you know, just, just watching the storm. You know, our house faces north and that's where the worst of the storm seemed to be. So we we're just sitting there you know, admiring the just constant, you know, lightning that was happening, the constant thunder, you know, was, was roaring. Uh, the girls were having a, a fun time. It wasn't quite raining yet, so the girls were dancing in the front yard, singing some songs about lightning and thunder or what, you know, whatever it is that, you know, that they were singing. And, uh, you know, we're just really having an amazing time. And, you know, the next day, at work, you know, there was, because of the storms, there was a lot of uh, people, a lot of customers of ours that had been, you know, had lost power, lost, you know, electricity, internet, you know, all this kind of stuff. So there was some complaining that was happening because it's like, well, why couldn't we just get the rain? Why did we need the, why did, why did we need the severity of the storm, you know, and all this kind of stuff, you know, I mean, whatever. You know, but the thought that came to me is that, you know, the storms of life, you know, things that, they, the storm really started to look ominous. I mean, it really did. We had, we, on our property, we didn't, but right down the street from us, there were down trees. There was, you know, there was little patches. There was little cells that were worse than others. Um, so it started to look, you know, pretty severe. It started to look pretty bad. And the storms, you know, of life, the things that we look at sometimes can seem so ominous, can just seem, you know, so terrible. But just the encouragement that it just takes two or three gathering together in his name can dispel however great the forces of darkness may appear to be. You know, it's not that much when you add it up or compare it to the power that we have as believers in him, you know, or an apparent army that may be, you know, coming against us, you know, and, and what the scripture tells us to do is to simply do this. And the, the enemy that's coming against us has to flee, has to surrender. You know, Dan Muller talks about a lot, and I think it's cool, you know, the scripture where it talks about submit yourselves, to, submit yourselves to him and resist the devil and he shall flee. And he talks about his being, and I think it's really good, is how that's one and the same. You know, our submitting ourselves to him is a resisting, you know, of the devil. That's one and the same, you know, step. And so the devil has to take flight when we simply surrender to him. And so... Um, you know, what I wanted to talk about is something that I woke up with yesterday. Um, I had started writing some things down Friday um, that, that I've just been looking at for probably a couple of months and started writing them down Friday, had a whole bunch of notes on it, and then woke up with something totally different yesterday. Um, so we'll see, see where that goes. But it was all about spirit, soul, and body. And I'm grateful because God gave me a, an example. I'm a, I'm a simple person. I like analogies. I like, you know, simple things to try to make things that um, are sometimes deep make a little more sense. And um, we have a pond on our property. It's, I don't know, probably about an acre or so. And just with this severe drought that we've been having, the water level on that pond has been going down pretty substantially. And wouldn't typically be too much of an issue, but we have a bunch of cypress trees that we had planted around the edge of the pond. And I don't know what I'm talking about, but the certain type of cypress trees that we got want their root system in water. They like moisture. And because the water has receded so much, the trees themselves are probably 10 feet away from where the water is, and so they're starting to dry up. You know, the leaves or whatever they're called, you know, not exactly leaves, but they're turning brown, they're not green, um, and these, these cypress trees have really taken off. You know, we only planted them probably four years ago, something like that. I mean, the trunks have gotten, you know, quite large. They're really thriving in that water, but just with this drought that we've been going through, it's been enough to really cause these trees to dry up, and they're really starving. For something, and uh, so it finally dawned on me this week. I remembered when we dug the pond. Uh, my dad and I also buried a three-inch conduit 
that runs all the way back to our closest water well, which is about 400 feet away. We buried a three-inch pipe. It's 400 feet long, 18 inches deep in the ground, and it runs all the way from the water well to the pond, and that's what we use to actually fill up the pond. But it's been so long since we've used it, it's buried over. I had to go hunting around for the, for the pipe you know, and all this kind of stuff. Couldn't even find it. I go and try to open it up, and it won't, nothing comes out, of course. So, and then we have a water well that goes 200 feet down deep. And so I started hunting around because I remembered why we did this, I don't know. But somewhere midway in this 400 foot span, my dad and I installed a shutoff valve, a manual shutoff valve to be able to turn it off for whatever reason. I'm not sure why we'd want to turn off midway through the, through the conduit. I'm sure it made perfect sense to us at the time, but that was you know, six, seven years ago, I'm sure at least, and I completely forgot what our logic was, you know, and why we did that. Um, so I'm trying to hunt around because there, there was a hole where we had put this shutoff valve and it's filled in over the years and now I can't find it. And so what I was getting is spirit, soul, and body. You know, if I can locate this valve and open it up, that water is going to come. There's a four-inch pipe that goes 200 feet down. Water is going to come up. Relatively an endless supply of water is going to come up through this four-inch pipe, 200 feet up to the well, to the pump, and it's going to send that water 400 feet through this three-inch conduit to fill up the pond. And if, as long as I leave that valve open, it's going to continually just water everything. Those trees are going to get watered. It'll overfill the banks. It'll spill over to everything around the pond. And if any of y'all are starting to cap, catch where my analogy is going, is spirit, soul, body. You know, I'm going to let the pond represent the body. It's what we see. It represents the tangible, what we see, what we feel. And unfortunately, what we oftentimes focus on as being the most important thing, I'm going to liken the spirit to the well, you know, because that's the, what connects us to the source. It's what we don't see. Because how many of us, I don't see that water that's down there. It's 200 feet down. I have no idea how much is down there, but I'm going to just say, you know, it's pretty much an endless, endless supply, you know, of water. So I'm likening the spirit to that. And our soul, which comprises of our mind, will, emotions, our conscience, basically our personality, is that valve. And it's our mind, it's what we, it's, that's why there's such a, a battle going on through our mind, over our mind of what we're going to, are we going to open up to the spirit and allow that spirit to flow through and to minister to everything that needs to be ministered to, you know, or do we keep it shut off and focus on the problem? And because I, I, what I did is I, I ran a hose from another pump, ran another hose to it, let it run for a couple days and it, it didn't make it, if anything, it looked like the water level actually went down. <clears throat> you know, it cannot do it. But connecting to the right source, you know, and opening it up and allowing it to flow is going to allow the Spirit to operate the way that the Spirit wants to operate. Hallelujah. Um, and I didn't realize, I started yesterday, I started looking up some scriptures on Spirit, Soul, and Body. And I didn't realize that there was actually some conflict, you know, there. You know, of course, there's always uh, theologians and, you know, people that want to argue and debate about stuff that really, in my opinion, makes no, has no relevance whatsoever. Um, but there is a pretty big argument that people say that the spirit and the soul is one and the same. So we're basically spirit, soul, spirit slash soul and body. Um, but, you know, anything, in the, and they take a lot of scripture references from the Old Testament, you know, in order to say that, you know, talk about Genesis 2-7, where it says he breathed life and we became a living soul, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So there's these arguments that, in, in a sense, can make some logical sense to us, you know, just looking at it through, um, you know, through natural eyes. But when we look in the New Covenant, there are many, many scripture verses to clearly say that there's spirit, soul, and body. Amen. And so that's, I'm not, we're not getting into that because in my mind, this is, that's a foundational thing. You know, there's no reason to even go there. Um, and so if you're looking for a scripture verse, it's 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And it clearly talks about, that's where it's speaking about wholeness of spirit, soul, and body. And that's one of my favorite verses. And, um, 
and, and then to realize that the spirit that we have, the spirit that's in us, Galatians 6, 4 says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So he says he sent forth the spirit of his son. We have the very spirit of his son living and dwelling in each and every one of us. And that is why the enemy is constantly trying to attack, constantly trying to keep the focus away from what it is that we carry you know, in us because we have the very spirit of the son in us. So in essence, the spirit that's in us is perfect. It's mature. It's complete. It's righteous. It's holy. It's pure. And so this, this, this fight, this, this battle is never going to stop. It's never going to go away. Because there's an enemy that's desperately clinging to the hope that we're going to remain asleep to the spirit that lives and dwells inside each and every one of those that's been born again. Those that have, been, those that have given their lives over to him have been born again. We have accepted, we have we now have the very indwelling of his spirit, his nature, his character living and breathing on the inside of us. And, you know, there's, there's different verses. I get them mixed up. There's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 2. You know, and they talk about the spirit that's come in us. But I think it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that talks about all things being made new. And our body, obviously, when we... When we accepted Christ, when we became born again, our bodies did not change. Some of us, for some of us, that's very unfortunate. Um, if you were fat before you accepted Christ, you're, chances are you were still <laughs> you were still in the same state in, in body. So when it's talking about all things being made new, it's not talking about our body. Our body wasn't made new. Made new. And then there's some thought, and again, I'm not going to say which one's right or wrong because they can, they can both be right, um, is that our soul was, uh, was, was one of the things that was immediately tra- changed, transformed. People like Dan Moeller experience that. You know, he talks a lot about, hey, when you came to Christ, when you became born again, you got new emotions. Amen. You got a new you took on the will of the Father. You took on, you know, all the attributes of, of God. You took on His character, you know, not your own. So all those things have been made new. And that's true. I mean, I, I know a lot of people that have had, you know, a, a seemingly instantaneous, you know, change, you know, of their soul and the way that they think and operate. For others, it's a process. And that's probably the majority you know, of us. It doesn't mean that shame on you for not accepting an immediate transformation you know, of your soul. That's not it at all. But for some of us, it is a process. And that's okay. It's the spirit that we, without a shadow of a doubt, was immediately transformed into him. Into the very nature of his son. His very spirit lives and dwells in us. And so it's not about, it's not about the body. And, and so this is where kind of identity ties into that because some people identify with the body. Some people identify with the soul when we're all supposed to identify with his spirit, you know, that's in us. That is our identity. What his spirit is in me is the same spirit that's in you. We identify as the same. And so, you know, I, I like to pick on, you know, sometimes, you know, those of y'all that are closest to me know, you know, I talk a lot about my, uh, it's called a do, do, doppelganger. Uh, and, you know, everybody has a lookalike, you know, and, and mine's Brad Pitt. Um, sp- not, not in all movies, but specifically Troy. You know, in the movie Troy, you know, I mean, we're very, <clears throat> the, the similarities are undeniable. And, uh, you know, so I don't know how he identifies himself, most of us identify him with the way that he looks. You know, we identify with him in body. And again, you know, I don't think I've ever shared this with anybody, probably not Amy, but probably not even Amy. But one of the reasons why I do pick on Brad Pitt a lot, because as long as I can remember, and don't think I'm weird, as long as I can remember, as long as I've known that a Brad Pitt exists, I have had such a drawing and a love for him, 
I have dreamed, no, I'm, I'm too young to dream. I have had visions while sleeping of being able to witness to him and seeing him give his heart to God. And I have had it happen many, many, many times. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt in my spirit, I'm going to have that opportunity at some point in my lifetime. I just can't deny it. It's something that's too strong. It's not something that I brought on myself. Okay, I'm not that weird. I did not, you know, I'm not uh, trying to attach myself to somebody and, you know, trying to make something happen. No, it's just, it's something that's just in my spirit. Uh, and I just, I'm just waiting for that opportunity to present itself. But either way, there, that's somebody who might, again, I don't know him personally, but that's somebody who might identify, you know, with himself just in his body, you know, with what he's known for. You know, he's known as an actor, you know, that does all these kind of things. And then there's people that can identify with body in another way and that it's the affliction, you know, that they go through, the, the pain, um, you know, the ailment, the, you know, somebody who's uh, struggling with paralysis or, you know, whatever it might be, a lot of people can identify with what it is in their body that's causing them in their eyes to be different than somebody else. And there's some people that identify in their soul of, you know, here's a, a different way that I think, a different way that I function, um, you know, a mental illness, you know, that I may you know, have, we identify as that, but again, it's that spirit, it's that spirit that we possess, that is our identity, each and every one of us, we have the same identity, each and every one of us, that's what ties us together, we're one, we're one in Him because we've adopted Him, and so, because that spirit that's in us is perfect, it's off limits to the enemy, I firmly believe that, that the enemy cannot come after that spirit that's in us because that spirit that's in us, once it becomes alive, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's not susceptible to the things that our body and our mind and our soul and our emotions and everything is susceptible to. It's perfect. And so that is why the enemy attacks our body, sickness, hardship, circumstance, you know, whatever it might be. It's why he attacks our soul, fear, stress, anxiety, depression, anger. Because if he can keep our focus on the attack, he can make us lose or forget the value of what we carry or possess, his spirit. And we can look at what's being attacked and the method that's being used as opposed to understanding why it is that the enemy is after us. You know, we get so focused on, I'm, I'm, you know, got this going on in my life, got you know, got this hardship, have this struggle, you know, whatever it might be. And that is the very plan of the enemy is to just get you focused on the attack or the method of the attack. And it's what's crazy is the thought that came to me last week is that God obviously sees our value. You know, obviously he knows who we are. He created us. He sees our value. The enemy sees our value or else he wouldn't be coming after us. You know, so the enemy sees our value. Who is it that fails to see our value? We do. You know, it is ourselves. You know, we fail to see what it is that we possess, what the value that we carry in each and every one of us, that's what we fail to see. And so if he can keep the attack on something else to just keep our focus, keep us asleep to this fact, you know, that we carry such a valuable spirit inside of us, he's won half the battle. I didn't know if I was going to say this or not, but... uh, I think I'm going to. Um, I had an example. Like I said, I'm kind of a uh, props kind of person, you know, and, and try to make things make sense. Um, when we, we uh, a few of us guys went to men's prison, I don't know, five, six weeks ago, a month ago, something like that. And on the way there, um, you know, riding Cody's truck, listening to his wonderful music, <clears throat> inside joke, except for those of us that were in the truck, um, riding in the truck, and I got a vision, I wasn't asking for it, you know, at all, um, but I had a vision of something that could be used to try to reach some of these people that we were going to talk to, and um, 
And so, and Derek knows, you know, we use, we, we, we talked to a, a few different people about this, and the, the, what I got, Chris, Paul, could I, could y'all stand up? Could I use y'all as my prop? And you just happen to be wearing the shirt from the prison. That's why it's so attractive uh, colors there. Um, there's an enemy. So, Paul, if you wouldn't mind representing the enemy. All right, all right. And Chris, you'll represent the spirit, Christ spirit. So there's an enemy that's always talking. He never stops. You know, it's never going to go away. You know, and he's just always trying to... And what's crazy is sometimes it can be disguised as something spiritual, something that's good, something that's, you know, oh, you know, you're functioning in pride, you need to stop doing this thing, you need to get humble, you know, or whatever. I mean, disguises itself as an angel of light, makes it sound good and enticing, but all the, all the while it's trying to get you to step down from what God's called you to. Sometimes it's a more blatant, obvious thing. Hey, you're a failure, you're terrible, you screwed up again, God doesn't love you. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, you know, that yakking's just never going to stop. And then you've got the spirit that's just constantly speaking. We just never, don't always hear it. And he's speaking truth over you, life over you, love over you, you know, encouraging you. He's there with you every step of the way. So Paul, if you just start kind of just, just, just saying some stuff, not, not too loud, but just, you know, just, you know, yeah, just move, move your mouth, you know, and, and all that. I mean, I'm not saying don't, you know. But speak audibly. Speak audibly. No, don't 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 get too carried away. But it's okay. I'm I'm confident in who I am. So you're not you're not you're not going to say anything you know, that's going to hurt me. I'm sorry. No, no, keep, no. And then Chris, just tell me. You know, I love you. I you know I, I appreciate you. You're you know you're you know all this kind of stuff. Y'all keep going. Keep going. Keep going. So I have a choice. I, I can wear myself out, as a lot of us do, and I can keep, try to keep just shutting away his voice and just saying, I'm, I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not going to listen to this. I'm, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen. And wear myself out. Or I can change my perspective and I can focus on the truth that's coming out. And next thing you know, everything that Paul's saying right now it falls into the background. I'm able to now focus on the life, the spirit. I'm able to open up that valve and allow life to start pouring in and filling you and me. And it's not about trying to push away, push away the one, because if I can get rid of this, then I can listen to this. That's what, again, that's what the enemy tries to tell you. That is what religion tries to tell you is, is if you can get rid of this, if you can get rid of the lies, if you can get rid of these things that are tearing you down, then you can open up, you, you can then be open enough and clean enough to be able to hear from the Spirit when God is trying to say, no, if you'll just focus on me, and that's why I appreciated the worship so much because that's what it was all about, was focusing on Him, keeping Him at the center. So it doesn't matter what's going on if I focus on him, the price that he's paid, what he says over me, the identity, if I start identifying with that spirit that he's placed in me, all of a sudden, this fades away. And isn't it a whole lot easier to surrender to one and let the other one just not matter versus fight, 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 fight to make this one go away or to not hear this anymore, all while I'm ignoring what the Spirit is trying to say. It's good that I'm trying to resist, that I'm trying to make this go away, but I'm still ignoring what the Spirit has done, what the Spirit has provided for me. You know, the Spirit that He's put in me, I'm ignoring that. And He's trying to say, surrender to that and let everything else fade. Thank you all. Sorry. So we got to use that, you know, in the prison because a lot of the guys were uh, getting out, you know, in a you know, three to six month time frame, whatever it might be. And so we were, we were able to ask them. I, I was paired up with uh, Derek. And we were able to ask them the hard question of, okay, so you're getting out. What's going to be different this go around? Unfortunately, for most of these people, you're going to be released into the same environment, in front of the same people, 
probably going to be faced with the same temptations. Everything that landed you here, you're going right back into. So what has changed in your time here that's going to keep you from coming right back to this same place? And so you ask that question, that's a hard question. You know, for some of these people, and I don't think anybody had a satisfactory answer, you know, for that. You know, and so it's, that's where we're able to encourage them. Look, you have got to recognize, you have got to surrender your life to the Father, accept His Spirit into you so you can learn to focus on this. You can learn to focus on building, on bringing, you know, the, the Spirit, the fullness rests in you if you'll just accept Him in and, and start to change your perspective and change, let your mind be renewed to where you focus on the Spirit, to where the Spirit, the presence of His Spirit becomes the most valuable thing to you to where everything else just doesn't have the value or the appeal that it once had. Right. You know, so again, you know, those of us who have ever gone through any kind of struggle, you know, uh, for any kind of temptation or whatever it might be, you know, we push and push and push that away when he's trying to say, look, value this presence, value this relationship, you know, that we have. Get to this place where we are in communion you know, with the Father, where we recognize the tangible presence, you know, that's with us each and every day. And when we step into that, when that becomes our life, then the pools of this world, the other things that want to come against us, just don't have that same gravitational pull that we feel like they do. You know, we can't fight these things on our own. We're not made to be able to do these things on our own, out of our own strong will. We might be able to withstand things for a season, for a time. We might be able to withstand it for the rest of our days here on earth, but we're going to be miserable. We're going to be exhausted. We're going to be tired. We're going to forget that we're saved. We're going to forget to smile, you know, all this kind of stuff, because we're just exhausted. There's no joy of your salvation when you're fighting, when you're constantly struggling, you know, and, and when your focus is in the wrong place. I don't know how you say this, Philemon, Philemon, chapter 1, verse 6, but I'm going to read 4 through 6. It's, it's, a, it's a book, Philemon. <laughs> I'm getting some weird looks like, that's not a book. <clears throat> um, chapter 1, there's only one chapter, 4 through 6, but I'm, I'm emphasizing verse 6. Verse 4 says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And then verse six, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. So in essence, without the recognizing of who we are and what we have through the new spirit we've become, we limit the effectiveness of the life flowing toward us through others. You know, read that again. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you. So if you can't acknowledge every good thing that's in you, the sharing of your faith is essentially not effective, is what it's saying. If you're wondering why the sharing of your faith is not effective, are you acknowledging every good thing that has been deposited within you, the fullness of Him that is in you. If you're wondering, once again, why it's a struggle for others to see that, that life that's changed in you, or if you're trying to get someone to grasp, you know, something that's going on, again, it's not up to us to change anybody, but if we're struggling in that sharing of our faith, we have to look and see, once again, are we... Are we, do, we, do we just talk about it? Do we just say, well, I'm a new creation. You know, yes, everything's good. You know, I've got a power authority. Amen. You know, all this kind of stuff. Or do we actually believe it? When you believe something, you live it. You know, when it's just a head knowledge, when it's just a, an, an understanding, you know, in your mind, then all you're doing is just regurgitating some good speech, you know, some words that sound good, but they have the form and not the power. And to share something, um, you know, here's, you know, here's some brilliance here that, you know, stood out to me. To share something, you must be first in possession of it yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
So if I want to share my faith with somebody, that means I have to have it. If I'm trying to share a vehicle with somebody, you know, if we're like, hey, you know, I've got a vehicle, if somebody, you know, wants to share it, I have to own that vehicle first. You know, we could talk about it till we're blue in the face. Man, it'd be, you know, we get this vehicle and, you know, we can benefit from it and we can do all this kind of stuff. But until somebody actually goes out and possesses it, no sharing is going to happen. I thought that was deep. (laughs) To share the goodness of God with someone or to help them see that it's always God's will to heal, to demonstrate his peace, his presence, his love, his joy, we must acknowledge and believe we have inherited the fullness of Christ through the immediate deposit of his spirit into our lives. And the children of Israel wanted a God they could see. They said, make us a golden calf. We want a God that we can see, that we can touch. Even though they had witnessed in their lives all the miracles, all the provision, everything that God had done for them up to that point, they still would rather have something visible and tangible that they could see and touch. And it's not that different. We can get caught in the same kind of deal. Because without faith, I can focus on the emptiness of the pond. Because that's what I see in the natural. But in reality, God wants us to see that there's an endless supply that will require faith as it's not seen in the natural. He wants us to understand that there is a renewing of our mind that begins to grasp that there is a kingdom realm unseen that's far greater than the earthly realm seen. A renewed mind will place the greater emphasis on that which requires faith. You know, so just like spirit, soul, body, you know, and the mind being the switch that allows us to focus on either that which is temporal or that which is eternal, that which is life-sucking versus life-giving, the same is with the church. The church is the gateway to which heaven flows to the people. Here on heaven as it is on earth, or here on earth as it is in heaven, that is what the church is here for, is to be that gateway between the kingdom realm and the earthly realm, allowing everything to pass through. The church is what is what controls that valve of the spirit that's, that's able to flow from the kingdom of heaven and changing the perspective so that way people stop seeing just this natural reality and everything that's here and open up their eyes to see a kingdom reality that exists that's here to change the environment in which we live. Hallelujah. Same is with on an individual basis. We have a body that's temporal, that's natural, and we have a spirit That's eternal. That's, you know, just everything that's good. And the same is with the church. Here on earth as it is in heaven is the same thing that we can choose to follow after for ourselves individually. Amen. Jesus was a prototype of the house of God or the gate of heaven here on earth. He's the gateway or the church is the gateway between the two realities of the kingdom of heaven and the earthly realm in which we dwell. We are here to connect people from one reality to another, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And if we would realize that we are ambassadors of another world. So my goal, most of us who are honest, you know, my goal in life is to just have whatever troubles me be fixed. right? God's goal is that we include him in the journey. Our goal is the outcome. His goal is the journey. And so something that I can say, because there's many of us, maybe everybody in this room that maybe has an unanswered prayer 
a prayer that hasn't been answered yet, which, by the way, Jesus never taught on unanswered prayers because he never had any. <laughs> so some of us don't have an answer yet for our prayer. Some of us are still waiting for a healing to manifest in our body. Some of us are still waiting for a circumstance or a situation to be changed or to be removed, whatever it might be. And it's easy to get caught in the questioning of why, when, how, whatever it might be. Okay, what am I doing wrong? What am I missing? Why hasn't it manifested yet? You know, or for those of us who have prayed for somebody else, you know, why haven't I seen it, you know, come to pass yet? Like I said, you know, I have unanswered prayers. I'm still growing. You know, I'm the first to acknowledge that. Why some things are instantaneous, why some things take a while, you know, we'll see. You know, things are still panning out. You know, God does not function by our time frame. He does not even, he's not even obligated to fulfill our desired outcome. His outcome and our outcome may be two totally different things. And so a scripture I like to remind myself of when faced with that kind of question, because it's easy to fall into that, is why why not yet? I mean, I, I have full faith and confidence that if Jesus were standing right here next to me and he touched me and said, be healed, done. Amen. I have the faith for that. And probably every, every single one of us has the faith for that. So why is it that sometimes we don't see it happen that way? And again, if I'm being honest, I have seen miracles. God has floated miracles through me, through you know, many of us in here. It hasn't been every single time. I'd like to say that it is, but it's not. And again, if I'm being honest, it's probably happened less than it has happened. But it doesn't mean that there's not still something that's being worked on. It doesn't mean that there's not still something that is happening behind the scenes that I may not be able to see with this natural eye. So the scripture I like to think of is Daniel Chapter 3, and I can finally read this out of the Passion Translation because it is finally available. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 3, I'm going to read 16 through 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to offer you a defense in this matter. If the God we serve truly exists, then he will save us from death at your hand, O king. So if you throw us into the fiery furnace, our God is able to save us. But even if he does not save us, you can be sure, O king, that we would not serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have erected. Skipping down to 24. Suddenly King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up and we all know the story, they were thrown in the fire. Suddenly, King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and asked his officials, didn't we throw three men bound in fetters into the fire? That is correct, your majesty, they answered him. But look, he shouted, I see four men walking about freely in the fire. They're all unharmed. And the fourth man has the appearance of a son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar cautiously approached the opening of the white-hot blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the great most high God, come out here now. So in the midst of the, out of the midst of the fire walked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, completely unharmed. And in 27, when all the king's officials had assembled, along with the princes, magistrates, and governors, they discovered that the fire had not harmed these three men. Their hair was not singed, their clothes were not scorched, and they didn't even smell like smoke. So when I read that yesterday, the thought that came to me, or the question that I asked myself, that I never asked myself before when reading this, was what would I rather? Would I rather be thrown into the fire and have him walking along beside me as he was? Or would I rather have escaped the fire, but maybe not gone through that situation that you know had to have stuck with these people's lives. There could have been another miracle that happened to totally change the whole outcome of that story, and it still would have been a miracle. But if I look at verse 29, 
It says, the king is talking, so I hereby make this decree, any person from any nation or language who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb, and his house will be destroyed because there is no other God who is able to rescue so miraculously. The rescue was in the fire, not from the fire. And that just stood out to me big time when I read this yesterday. And it, like I said, it could have been just as, you know, not just as, but it could have still been a miracle where, let's say the heavens opened up and it started storming and everybody ran for cover and earthquake came and they forgot about throwing them in the fire, you know, so they were saved from the fire. That would have still been a miraculous story. But the miracle that God was after was the king, the governors, the magistrates, the princes, Everybody witnessed such a great miracle because only the God, the Most High, could save somebody in this manner. There could be no doubt that this God was greater than all other gods because if anything else would have happened to save them from the fire, they could have called it coincidence if they were trying to, you know, yeah. You know, if they were trying to come up with a justification for it, you know, they could have came up with one. But there was no justifying the fact that Jesus was standing in the fire with them and protected them to where they didn't even smell of smoke. Their clothes were untouched. Their hair was not harmed. You know, they were not touched at all. And only the God of heaven and earth could provide a miracle such as that. So it's not always about being rescued from the fire as much as it is recognizing that sometimes he rescues us in the middle of it. That's why he says he walks with us even in the valleys, even in the shadow of death, even in our trials and tribulations, even in all these things, he is there with us. He's there with us every step of the way. So it's not about only dancing on the mountaintops with God. There's times for that. Those are awesome. That's great. But there are some things that can only be worked out. There are some things in us that come out or that are built into us or ingrained into us when we're in the fire holding his hand through the whole thing. Trusting is superior to knowledge. We're called believers, not understanders. Faith, faith brings answers. But enduring faith, faith that endures, brings answers with character. God is looking for more than simply filling my life with good experiences. He's wanting to fill my life with his nature, his character, so that who he is can be seen both in the power for the miracle as well as the power to endure. He gave us an absolute promise in each and every situation. And that's something we have to remind ourselves of. There is a promise that he will be with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he is a friend that sticks closer than our brother. There's promise after promise after promise that he's there with us, no matter what we're going through. And if I'm not seeing the absolute answer to the problem, the problem does not rest with him. But if we're not careful, self-criticism and self-doubt are going to take me to a place where I don't need to be. And so if we're going through something difficult, if we seem to be surrounded by our enemy, find the table. It says he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. That's a promise. Find the table. When we're surrounded, when it seems like thing, you know, things are closing in on us, when there's no way out, find the table. Find his face. It's there. We just need to choose to surrender to which identity do we want to follow after? Do we want to continue to focus on the fact that the pond is drying up, that it's empty? Or do we want to focus on that there's an unending supply of life-giving water that's available if we'll just simply turn it on and surrender to that? And we let things get built up so much to where the mountain just seems unclimbable, you know, unattainable to get to the top you know, whatever it might be. But with him, all things are possible. He's with us through everything. We're transformed 
only in the measure of which our mind is transformed. And then we're talking about the mind so much, but it's important to note that faith does not come from the mind, it comes from the heart. So then why is it so vital that our mind be transformed? And I'm going to borrow a phrase from Bill Johnson here because he he paints a good picture with this sentence. The renewed mind creates the banks of the river for faith to flow in. So you need both. A renewed mind is in tune with the will of the Father, knows what the Father's will is in each and every situation, and knows where that river of faith needs to be directed, how it needs to guide. You're in tune with Him. You're a co-laborer with Him. We're working side by side with Him, and it's through a renewed mind that faith can actually function and do what it's supposed to do. Faith does not get developed through striving. It gets developed through surrender. And we can exhibit faith no greater than our understanding of His goodness. And it's through time spent with Him we can begin to understand His true nature and just how good of a patient Father He really is. And there's an abiding presence, or the abiding presence is a presence that lives within us. And it only comes from a place of leaning into Him when no one else is looking and no one else is around. When we remain aware of His abiding presence, we begin to see what He sees, hear what He hears, love what He loves, hate what He hates, dream what He dreams, speak what He speaks. So that's what I got yesterday. Um, But something that I got, I don't know, a couple weeks ago is reading Luke 19.10, and it goes along with this. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That. That what? What that? <laughs> it's not talking about those who are lost. It's talking about that which was lost. What is that which was lost? It's relationship. It's identity. He came to restore those things back to us. Yes, He paid the price for our sins. He forgave us. You know, He he paved the way for us to step in, you know, as a new creation, but He also paid the price, and He one of His biggest desires coming was to restore that which had been lost. While on earth, Jesus had to get everything from the Father as a human being that had nothing to give out of himself because he wanted to model what life could be like for anyone who has been forgiven of sin and has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if there is anything that I've been learning a lot through um, Pastor Mark, something that he encourages and stresses so much and reminds me of, And it's something that can really take a lot of burden off, a lot of pressure off of us, is that it is not our responsibility to change people. Man, we we load that burden up, you know, big time. We think that we we are God's people changers, you know. And it is our responsibility to change everybody, you know, that's around us, to point out the issues, to, you know, correct everything right. And yes, we speak truth. You know, we declare all that, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's That's the work of the Holy Spirit to change people. It is the truth. It is the truth that sets people free. But it is through love. It is through our loving them that they can actually hear the truth in order for the truth to set them free. I've done that my whole life. Beat people over the head with truth. Beat people over the head with truth. That has amounted to nothing. But... Anguish for me, aggravation, you know, whatever has produced zero change, you know, in anybody's life, as far as I know. Definitely didn't produce any good change in my life, for sure. But as soon as you change to where you start to love the person, to see the person through God's eyes, to change your perspective of who they are, to see them not stuck in the situation that they're in, or the incorrect identity that they're choosing to see themselves through, when you begin begin to see them for where God's called them to be and what he's propelling them towards, thank you, 
it's then that we can begin to love them and allow the truth to start to break down the walls to where the Holy Spirit can start to work on their heart, give you the things to say, co-labor with him so that way you can reach the person at the right time with what they need to say. And I appreciate so much um, Amy had given her testimony three months ago, something like that, talked about how much, you know, religion, you know, had hurt her. You know, how much religion would just come against, come against and just knock down and bash down and, you know, make you feel like you're never good enough and all this kind of stuff. And it's something that just I can relate to, you know, and just hits me hard because, like I said, I was one of those people. Chances are, if you would have met me in, in whatever you were going through, I might have been one of those people that was doing the same thing that negatively impacted you, you know, so much and was something that you had to work to overcome, to, to get out of. You know, and so many people are struggling with the same thing, you know, just past hurts from the supposed people of God that are just all about lifting themselves up so much that they'll put everybody else down around them just to keep themselves up on a pedestal. And just seeing how much God can change the environment, how much the Holy Spirit being released through us into the environment, into the people that we're around, how much easier it is to flow through a spirit of love, encouraging everybody through love, helping everybody to see who they really are, who they're really called to be. It has made the biggest world of difference. And I know the people that I'm surrounded by, you know, the people that I work with, the people that are in my sphere of influence, that has what's caused the greatest impact is loving people and reminding them of just who they are. You know, I share with you a couple of guys, you know, I had a, a guy call me, somebody I've known for a while, he called me a couple of weeks ago or texted me. It was late at night, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night or whatever. Um, and I know he's in the past struggled with depression and suicide and he's gone through uh, all the forms of therapy, you know, that, you've, that, that you can. And, um, you know, they had just decided that day he and his wife were getting a divorce and that just sent him into a major downward spiral. And so, you know, he called me to talk and, you know, essentially like, you know, talk me off of a ledge, you know, type of deal. And it's like, okay, this is not the time for my religious stuff to come out. You know, people need words that carry life, not just empty words that make me feel like I said all the right things. I did, you know, I made the right, uh, I referenced all the right scriptures. I broke out the thesaurus and I told them, hey, this is what the Greek is really referencing and all this kind of stuff. And I broke it down and made it sound impressive, you know, to where it's like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. Yeah, let me, let me stop. No, I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't work. You know, it was God gave me in that instant, started to give me what he called him to be. The heart that he had given him, the things that he'd gone through had only, if he would just surrender his life, he could allow the things that he's gone through to propel him so much faster towards the heart of the Father, to where God's just ready and waiting to embrace him and move him into a totally different realm of his life, a total, there's a totally different perspective that could be seen through this whole situation. You know, here's the life that God's laid out for you. Here's, here's who he called you to be. Here's all the character traits that are evident in you that he's placed in you. You know, start giving that into him, putting that into him, and it, it caused something to break to where it's like, okay, there is hope. You know, there is something better, you know, for me. There is, there is something eternal, not just temporal. What I'm going through is so minor in comparison to what eternally is here for me. And it's not about saying a prayer to get you to heaven. You know, it's not about escaping hell to get to heaven. It's to experience heaven now. You know, it's to experience freedom now. It's to experience what God paid the price for you to have now, to live in the fullness of who he is now, to have joy, peace. Everything now doesn't mean things aren't going to continue to come against you, but that you can have the strength to focus on his face, to see that he's prepared a table before you. And I talked to him uh, yesterday or the day before. I mean, he's doing great. 
you know, he's got the awesome perspective of everything. They're flowing through everything. But he's starting now praying for his wife. He was divorcing. Not praying that she'll change, but just thanking God. And here's somebody who doesn't pray, but thanking God that he loves her. Thanking God for who she is. And just telling God, look, I hold no ill will towards her. He recognizes that what she's going through, what she's lashing out at him, where they're at is because she's just got such a broken, terrible past and all this kind of stuff. And so realizing that a lot of this is just not focused, you know, in the right area, whatever it might be, but he's now lining himself up with what God wants to show him about who she is, what God wants to show him about who he is. And it's like, okay, that totally changes the perspective, the way that you pray for people, the way that you, you know, the way that you move and the way that you function, you know, and so it's, I said, you're not going to get that, but just knowing the proper scriptures, the proper things to just say when you're facing that situation, God knows how to reach each and every person in each and every situation that that they're in. And it's us that need to be in tune with the spirit. And it only comes from us keeping our focus on him and not our own little battles, our own little fights that we go through. It's like, okay, until I see His will manifest in this situation, I'm going to keep my focus on Him. I'm going to keep that valve open. I'm going to let the Spirit continually flow. There's no need to shut it off. Just let it go. You know, just let it keep running. There's no reason to ever shut that off. And that's, I can probably, I can probably stop. But the gospel is not just a releasing of words. It's a ministry of releasing his presence into the earth. The gospel is not just about the things that we say. It's not just about the scriptures that we can quote. It's not just about any of that. There is also a recognizing that there is a presence in us that gets released everywhere that we go. That is just as much the gospel as it is the preaching you know, of the Word. It's the recognizing of the Spirit that we have in us, that we carry. And so once again, to focus, to reshift our focus, our attention on that which is eternal versus that which is temporal. And if we can do that, then what we go through just doesn't hold the same pool, or the same emphasis that it maybe once did. So that's it. That's all I wanted to share um before we like i said i I would like to close with the announcements and everything um but before we do does anybody have anything again i know we prayed you know before does anybody sure sure so um i'm about to start writing my second book i've I mean, I've already like, you know, ideas come and go, but I'm intentionally starting to write it. And um, the second book's called Perception. And um, it's about renewing your mind. So I was laying in bed because I couldn't go to sleep. And I was like, okay, Lord, like show me, like show me this. Because I know it's more than just like changing your thoughts. Like it's more than just thoughts. Like renewing your mind is more than just like your thoughts. And so he showed me. You had given that quote about um, Bill Johnson saying that it's the banks. He had showed me um, in the brain, there's pathways, right? To things that you think about, like your thoughts are connecting it and making, and like you recall memories that way and stuff. And and your thoughts, it's trails, it's pathways. Um, But like, that's what happens when you renew your mind, you're literally creating new pathways in the brain. Like scientifically, like, your brain forms new pathways. And so like, I was envisioning God doing that with not just like capturing thoughts, but also like aligning it up with spirit, um, with His thoughts, you know, with, with your identity, with identity. And so like building new pathways with like the banks, with what He says, with His promises, with His thoughts, with His view of you and it is also um congruent with like like if we look at our bodies not just our brains but like our bodies too like we are vessels 
And so like our thoughts aligning with His, renewing our mind is like literally creating vessels in our brains for His Spirit to flow. That's so. awesome. No, it's so good. That's so good. And to go along with that, that's something that I didn't uh, mention, but it's an exact thing that uh, I got. So we, what you're talking about, 2 Corinthians 10, you know, verse 5 is where it says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What it's talking about there, bringing into captivity, it's like if, uh, and this is what I wrote, if we are in an army fighting against an enemy and we take an enemy soldier captive, it's talking about converting him and turning him so that he fights with us. That's what the scripture's talking about where it says we're to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Our thoughts must be converted to where they no longer try to destroy our identity, but they instead fight to establish it. We must learn to take the fiery darts or the darts fired on us by the enemy and instead use them to propel us closer to the Father. So just going along with that. 